electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. A big interview with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Our reliance on foreign oil, our economic vulnerabilities. I don't think that the ESG movement and the emphasis on climate change is creating the problems that we have. If anything, the problem is that we haven't moved as rapidly as we should have. And the value of digital assets. I have a little bit of skepticism because there are, I think, valid concerns around it. On the other hand, there are benefits from crypto, and we recognize that innovation in the payment system can be a healthy thing. Plus, the president cutting a deal to cut Europe's dependence on Russian energy. And the rest of today's stories that got us squawking. Bitcoin, bed, bath, beyond, and basketball. I've got a new system that's absolutely foolproof. I bet on the opposite of my bracket picks. The rest of us knew that for a long time. It's Friday, March 25th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square and from Washington, D.C. today. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew Ross Sorkin is live in D.C. He's got that big, beautiful Capitol building behind him. And Andrew, uh, got a big interview coming up today, too. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, We do have a big interview just a little bit later this morning. I'll be uh, live at the Treasury Department building to interview Secretary Janet Yellen. So much to talk to her about including the sanctions on Russia. Some of the news we're going to be talking about in just a moment overnight in terms of what uh, President Biden has agreed to, uh, providing uh, more energy to Europe. Uh, And uh, we'll talk inflation. We'll talk economy. We'll probably talk a little crypto and so much more. Uh, Lots of news, I imagine, will be made. If you take a look at crude oil prices, crude has been up this week, uh, up by about 7.3% for the week. It's down right now by about 1.5% on the day. Guys, I don't know if you'd seen it. AAA natural gas, the average, is now at $4.236 a gallon. That is near a record from where we were. It's down from a week ago, but that um, is still up about 47% from where we were a year ago. Joe? We didn't mention uh, crypto. Maybe mention it this way. If, if, you're, if you're paying for gas with Bitcoin, it's, it's like really cheap. <laughs> Got a little cheaper. Um, 44000 <laughs> on, on Bitcoin. So that, that has moved. We were at slowly making that the, the uh, crypto has been making its move back uh, above 40 and, and almost got to 45. So that, that has been moving higher recently. It was low as 33 or 34, not too long ago. That may be the, by the way, Katie Stockton actually talking about it. Almost as the dog to the S&P, to the S&P's tail, which I thought was a little bit weird. She didn't say that, that the crypto was the tail to, uh, to the S&P dog, it was vice versa. Mm-hmm. 
Bitcoin actually is providing kind of cues for the S&P 500. We saw its corrective phase late last year in Sue before the corrective phase in the S&P 500. Bitcoin has stabilized. Of course, it's seen a loss of downside momentum after nearly halving itself. And that support around 38,000 is a very important level. We're glad to see it having held, except it does not mean that it, it's in the clear here. We have a loss of long-term upside momentum behind all risk assets. And that tells us that this year is probably more of a range-bound year. We're likening it to somewhat of 2018, where for the S&P 500, we saw a corrective phase earlier in the year, a big sort of mid-year relief rally, and then a massive correction at year end. Our favorite stock, Joe, Bed Bath & Beyond, reportedly nearing a settlement with activist investor Ryan Cohen. Bloomberg reporting that the deal could include three new directors appointed to the retailer's board. Cohen's firm had disclosed a 9.8% stake in the company, calling for change, including looking at strategic options for the Bye Bye Baby division. Joe, you and I had not, we hadn't talked about the Bye Bye Baby division. I don't know if no. you think that's where the real opportunity. I know Bye Bye Baby. <laughs> Real opportunity lies at that company. Right. Been a but, while uh, for me. That's that's where Ryan me. Cohen uh, thinks the opportunity set is. It's not. It's not in just you know having more people come in, look at the vaporizers, check out the the Brita filters and the like. I have been. I probably shouldn't admit this. You were just there, weren't you? Weren't, no, I, no, You can't get away from it. I know. No, I wasn't just there, but I've been there a couple of times. When the Keurig that I have at home, the Keurig machine, I don't know how to clean the damn thing. I don't, you know, they say you can with vinegar <laughs> you just or throw something. It out. Right. No, yes, you if can, you bring you it back. See, I don't know if I should cop that. If you bring it back, I think they kind of replace it with just a little bit of a feed for it. It's almost like you've been renting it and then you can, like, or lease, <laughs> leasing it. I probably shouldn't say this. So I'm giving people ideas and they probably won't do it anymore. That's like me admitting the gas thing yesterday. It is. It is. Right. You, but you, you can get Uber, the new right. Keurig with the clean taste. And co- but you don't have a Keurig, uh, Sorkin. You got the George Clooney thing, don't you? Uh, we're, we're, I think we might be marginally fancier than the Keurig. We've got the, the Nespresso you, one. We're marginally the fancier one. in terms of everything. In, we got in the your coffee life. pods, though. I thought you had the Nespresso. I thought you had the Nespresso. No, that, I you had the Nespresso we- and a Keurig. I've got both. Anybody see last night? I mean, that was, uh, did you? Game? Gonzaga? All of them. Uh, uh, the only reason I mention it is it, it, this is going to be rare for me to be able to do this, but I've got a new system that's absolutely foolproof in terms of, of betting. <laughs> you sound like I my do. uncle. I bet on the opposite of my bracket picks. I'm on well, the record with the these brackets. The rest of us do that for a long time. Yes. I'm on the record of these bracket picks. So I've made a decision. So I can't change it. And I've, I've acted with my feet on the bracket picks. So I know that the opposite will happen. And it does. And that, so I can put money. Like last, I had Arkansas. The control room's known this for a while. <laughs> They've been betting against your bracket it's picks full. I can't wait till tonight. I can't wait till tonight. I'm going to look at what well, I please have. Please tell me that you didn't take St. Peter's. Because that is I can't. the one. I mean, now we that can't. Rutgers is out. We can't you pick St. Pete. You can't bet on it. 
because oh, it's, it's New, in New Jersey. Jersey, right? Yeah. Well, that, I'm excited about this. First time a New Jersey team has made it to the Sweet 16. I wonder if I could do that. You're right. Someone just said I'm in New York. I wonder if I wonder if I can do that. But it knows I'm usually. Don't. Don't. We don't want you on their side. All right. All right. We're doing a show anyway, aren't we? I was. I love the Boilermakers. Love Purdue, but I got to go with St. Peter's for this because it is such. It would be fun, wouldn't it? See the small school. It's amazing. It is. It was great. Coming up, the U.S. and E.U. strike a deal on natural gas to cut Europe's reliance on Russian energy. We'll have the latest from the president's trip abroad. And this week, Larry Fink, CEO of the world's largest asset manager, BlackRock, told investors the post-Cold War era of globalization is coming to an end. Today, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen responds to that claim. When you say this may be the end of globalization or something that extreme, I really have to push back on that because we're deeply involved in the global economy. I expect that to remain. Our exclusive interview with the secretary right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And we've got it all covered today, from the NASDAQ in Times Square to the Department of Treasury in Washington to a rooftop in Brussels. I'll hand it off to Andrew. We're going to go uh, to Brussels right now to get the latest, where the U.S. just struck a deal to provide more natural gas to Europe. Kayla Tausche is there live this morning. Good morning, Kayla. Good morning, Andrew. We're getting a little bit more detail on that deal that's part of a larger effort to reduce the dependency of Europe on Russian natural gas and further isolate Russia's economy as the war in Ukraine continues. Under the deal announced today, Europe will be getting an additional 15 billion cubic meters of gas from the U.S., and other countries, and 50 billion cubic meters from the U.S. before 2030. The EU will be upgrading its import terminals to receive these cargoes, but senior administration officials could not specify which countries were providing exactly how much. The IEA says Europe used 155 BCM of Russian gas in 2021. That was triple what it used in just 2019. Now, this pledge would require an increase in fossil fuel production in the U.S. for the next decade seemingly in conflict with the administration's broader climate goals. Here's how President Biden acknowledged that when he announced the deal with the European Commission president. The United States and the European Union are going to work together to take concrete measures to reduce dependence on natural gas, period, and to maximize the the availability and use of renewable energy. 
They say long term they're trying to keep European energy demand stable. Yesterday, during a trio of emergency summits, President Biden called for Russia to be ejected from the G20 group of the largest economies. He warned Putin that chemical weapons would be met with a NATO response and suggested Western allies would keep sanctions in place for more than a year in order to get P President Putin to reverse course. The G7 is also cutting off Russia's access to its reserves that it is storing in gold estimated to be worth more than $100 billion for fear that Russia would use that to prop up the ruble and keep funding the war. Andrew? Kayla, we're going to be talking to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen in just a little bit here in Washington about all of this. In terms of those pledges that are being made, do we know if there are other back-channel conversations with oil companies and others in the United States or in Europe about how they're going to reach those pledges? Uh, well, certainly those conversations have been going on for several months once the U.S. Uh, realized that uh, that Russian troops were being built up at Ukraine's border. Senior administration officials say that there have, in fact, been many cargoes that were diverted from Asia, uh, supplies that were negotiated uh, among allies to be rerouted to Europe and that were replacing some of the Russian gas and also helping to build up reserves to get Europe through the winter in case Russia decided to weaponize its energy. Now, it's not even near the amount that's needed uh, to actually keep the lights on on this continent. So that's why it's going to take the better part of a decade to get there. That's why you hear countries like Germany, Austria, Czechia saying that they simply cannot cut Russia off. Uh, it will take time to get there. Uh, but certainly there are a lot of allies working behind the scenes to get it done. Andrew. Kayla Tausche in Brussels this morning. Appreciate it. Thank you. As we've been talking about all morning, the big news this morning, uh, President Biden announcing a joint task force to bolster energy security for Ukraine and the European Union. The primary goal to diversify supply of LNG and curb Europe's reliance on Russia for its energy. Joining us right now in an exclusive interview this morning is Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Madam Secretary, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for the So as we were just uh, discussing, uh, energy is the big topic. And want to understand from you how you reconcile the administration's climate goals right now with what clearly is a shift in posture around energy and fossil fuels. Well, the climate goals are very important and there's no change in that. If anything, seeing what's happening because of our dependence on global markets for oil and to some extent natural gas just emphasizes the importance of making the transition that will shield us from um, events in Russia, global developments that um, can negatively impact uh, oil markets. Um, it, we really want to move and see the need, all of us, the United States and our allies, to move quickly to renewables that will um, give us a safer and more in independent energy picture. But clearly in the short term, that's, that's not going to work. And clearly there's going to be an effort to push for more fossil fuels. Jamie Dimon, JP Morgan CEO, telling the administration that they need to create a Marshall Plan around fossil fuels and energy. What do you think of that? Well, I, I don't really want to get into uh, what, what happened in a private meeting, but I, I certainly agree that we are looking very carefully at the global energy situation. Um, we have banned uh, Russian oil uh, imports from the United States, but our dependence isn't very high. We recognize how important 
Russian oil and natural gas imports um, are for our European partners and they recognize and we recognize how important it is to reduce that dependence to the maximum extent possible in the short run, which uh, goes to uh, this morning's announcement by President Biden about our enhanced cooperation on LNG. Um, but it, it's not possible to completely eliminate that uh, dependence uh, certainly do you, do you this think, year. Do you think the investor class has to rethink its position on fossil fuels? And I say that only because there has been a real shift towards ESG uh, over the past several years. And whether that idea needs to be suspended to some degree relative to what's happening now and the national security issues that it is either creating or has created. I, I don't think that the ESG movement and the emphasis on climate change is creating the problems that we have. If anything, the problem is that we haven't moved as rapidly as we should have. Um, Europe and the United States would be um, less exposed to the pressures that this conflict is putting on our energy markets if we had greater reliance on renewables. So that remains firmly appropriate as medium and longer term goal. But in the short run, um, our ability to um, punish Russia right. um, for really the horrific acts that they're committing in Ukraine um, and to degrade their uh, power and influence in the uh, world economy, it, it would be greater if there were less dependence on Russian oil. But, so but in the immediate term, one, one of the things that's happening in the United States, for example, is the SEC uh, just put out a notice about proposals around climate disclosure. Yes. Do you think some of those policies um, shift in terms of either timing or otherwise as a result of what we're seeing right now? So I was heartened to see the SEC proposal. It's something that um, the Financial Stability Oversight Council is focused on um, our partners around the world and the investing community um, really want information that can guide their investments. You see um, increasing number of um, American investors, including banks, that have commitments to net zero by 2050, and they need the kind of information that's consistent and transparent to let them make investment decisions. Those goals um, haven't changed. The need for globally comparable um, information remains a high priority. And I think the SEC has crafted a very good proposal. I was really um, very pleased to see them put it out. Let me ask you a question about globalization. Larry Fink this week said globalization may be over and that, the, that this war between Russia and Ukraine has become a flashpoint and that American companies doing business in certain countries, potentially even China, and I'm thinking about big companies like Apple that are doing business there, clearly China appears to be an ally of Russia, may have to rethink where they're doing business. What do you tell American business leaders this morning who are thinking about where their supply chains come from and the politics of where those supply chains come from? Well, we do have to, and this is not just because of the Russia-Ukraine situation, but this became evident in the pandemic that um, maybe American businesses have focused on efficiency and organizing supply chains in ways that 
um, lower cost but impair resilience. And resilience of supply chains is a high priority for the administration. And so to an extent, that, that will lead to some um, reallocation right. of where production But how much of that is about place. resilience, which was an issue we talked about in the context of the pandemic, versus politics and national security? Well, national security is also important, and we recognize the need to um, consider having an appropriate trade policy that protects our national security interests. But when you say this may be the end of globalization or something that extreme, I really have to push back on that because we're deeply involved in the global economy. I expect that to remain. It is something that has brought benefits to the United States and many countries around the world. And uh, we certainly don't want to go to a system in which um, the United right. States is, loses, loses those benefits. So there may be some rethinking to promote national security. You've, you've put a number of sanctions, obviously, on Russia. But would you consider sanctions on China as an ally of Russia at this point? So I don't think that that's necessary or appropriate at this point. We at senior administration officials are talking privately and quietly with China to make sure that they understand our position. Um, we would be um, very concerned if they were to supply um, weapons to Russia or to try to evade the sanctions that we've put in place on the Russian financial system and the central bank. We don't see that happening at this point. And it's really up to China to um, make, make sure that they understand the si complex situation that they face. Becky has a question for you. Uh, thanks, Andrew. Um, it's very good to see you, Secretary Yellen. Just a question about how the economy is faring right now, because the markets have been kind of roaring uh, higher on some of the economy. And then there are these questions about inflation and what the Fed does next. You see the tax receipts coming in every, every day. Is there any sign of weakness anywhere in this economy? Um, I honestly don't see it. You know, we, we have an immensely strong job market. Growth over the last year has been extraordinary. Job creation remains um, very high. When you look at the balance sheet of the typical um, American family, it is in very good shape. Consumer spending is strong. And tax revenues have frankly been surprising to the, to the upside, um, you know, helping us in a plan to um, reduce deficits. We'll be releasing the budget uh, shortly. Um, so I see a lot of strength in the American economy. Um, inflation is high and, um, you know, the, the Fed certainly has a role to play there. Well, what do you think sure about the global economy more broadly and where we fit in it? This is the Dallas Fed president earlier this week. Quote, if the bulk of Russian energy exports is off the market for the remainder of 2022, a global economic downturn seems unavoidable. I would imagine if that's unavoidable, it's unavoidable for us as well. So I, we are seeing pressure on commodity prices because of the Russia-Ukraine situation. And it's importantly oil and natural gas, but um, also other commodities and I am concerned about spillovers to countries, for example, that are heavily dependent on wheat. 
um, wheat prices have been soaring. Um, and I think it will likely reduce the prospects for global growth over the next year. But we've got a good, strong U.S. economy. We're a net exporter of oil. Oil prices obviously impose significant burdens on American families, but it's also likely to, on balance, um, be offset in the impact on spending by um, faster drilling expense, you know, right. expenditures. How high do you think oil prices can get at the pump? Uh, listen, I, there's a lot of uncertainty about it. Um, they're not as high in real terms as they were um, earlier, earlier in this century. And um, they, you know, it's conceivable that they could move higher. But we're doing everything that we can, working with our partners to assure adequate global supplies, um, to make sure that uh, Europe is well supplied with oil and natural gas, and um, to protect American consumers to the extent possible. But when the 11th largest um, economy um, you know, faces sanctions because of their horrific uh, behavior in Ukraine, there just are going to be uh, spillovers that are unavoidable. President Biden, by the way, said last night about, uh, overnight I should say, about sanctions, uh, that they would not prevent the continued invasion. Do you think, and, and I should say Secretary Mnuchin, uh, your predecessor, said that he would have moved faster on sanctions. Do you think that sanctions could have had a greater effect had they been put in place earlier? Well, we hope that they would have a deterrent effect. And certainly prior to the invasion, President Biden made uh, abundantly clear to President Putin that if he invaded Ukraine, that there would be very significant consequences. And um, hope that that might affect his calculus. Clearly it didn't, but I do think there's some chance that it will affect his calculations going going forward. And the pain that Russia is experiencing, I think, well exceeds anything that they expected. And I think a a realist looking at Russia's long-term economic prospects, the prospects for its defense sector and um, all of its, um, you know, competitive um, export activities would have to see that the export controls and financial controls um, are going to degrade economic performance in Russia for a long time. How much do you think the sanctions on the oligarchs influence Putin's behavior? Well, you know, I'm not a political expert on Russia, but, um, you know, I think the oligarchs probably have some influence on uh, the thinking of President Putin. And they have provided resources that um, enable Putin to carry out um, a war like this. So um, influencing, um, you know, the sanctions that we've put on them, I think are appropriate and hopefully will matter. But um, as you know, we announced um, new sanctions um, yesterday, I guess it was, um, that will impact Russia's defense sector, make it very difficult for it to import parts and supplies that it needs to be competitive. So eroding Russia's power to um, 
have a defense sector, a high technology sector that's competitive over time. Advanced semiconductors, access to those have been cut off by export controls. One of the oligarchs that wasn't sanctioned in the same way as many of the others was Abramovich. And the view was that was done because he was going to act as a mediator. Um, Russia now says he's no longer acting as a mediator. First of all, can you speak to his role as a mediator? No, I honestly can't. Um, I have heard that reported as well. Um, we are continuing to sanction individuals as well as looking at broader sanctions on sectors. And I would hold open the possibility that certainly not take off the table, the possibility that he or other individuals could face sanctions in the future. More sanctions now that he may not be acting as a mediator. Meaning, does, does his position as a mediator or not change? I, I'm, I'm not going to comment on the calculus about exactly what determines if he is or isn't sanctioned. I just say that it remains a possibility. Joe's got a question for you, Madam Secretary. Sure. Madam Secretary, uh, you, you were very uh, positive on, on the U.S. economy and looking for even any weak spot. So we saw uh, Chair Powell go a, a quarter point and then uh, come back and say maybe 50 basis points is going to be necessary. Um, a lot of people think that the Fed is behind the, ch uh, you know, is behind the, uh, the eight ball right now and being able to actually raise rates to the extent that they need to. Would you have gone 50 uh, right away? And do you think 50, since you think the economy is so strong and rates are so low, do you think that, that, that uh, we'll go 50 at some point in the future and should have done it already? So, you know, that used to be my job, and it's what but I spent so a lot good. of time. You were so good at it. Yeah, what, well, would you thanks, be doing? <laughs> what would you be doing right now? Much appreciated. My job in my current position is to emphasize how much I respect the independence of the Fed and have confidence in their ability. I'm sure to he would love. I'm sure he'd love some. Do you give him advice? Uh, maybe not on, on Squawk Box. Would you give him advice? Uh, maybe whisper something in his ear, and what would that be? Well, he and I meet regularly as um, all um, Fed chairs and Treasury secretaries have for um, as long as I've been in this business, and we have a very good and strong relationship. Okay, okay. But it's up to the Fed to make these, these decisions and right. we'll respect the decisions they make. All right. All I think we have another question from Becky. I do. Thank, uh, thank you. Um, Madam Secretary, the, the Fed, as you mentioned, is, is going to do its own thing and decide how much to raise rates. But it does sound like those rates um, may raise more rapidly, at least than the market was anticipating. The, the CBO is estimating that the government's going to be paying something like $545 billion a year um, just in interest payments based on where interest rates stand and where they're predicting they're going to stand over the next few years. If that goes up by even something like 50 basis points, I think that that amount jumps by about $94 billion a year. What do you do? Because this is where it kind of lands back in your lap. How do you budget for this? Where are you expecting to see interest rates in terms of what you might be able to fit in the budget on what the, the government will pay in its interest payments? Well, you know, Becky, if you look at last year's budget, what you'll see is a projection that over time interest rates would rise back to more normal levels. I mean, obviously, interest rates have been at rock bottom levels below most estimates of neutral for a very long time. And um, while there may be differences in the details, 
CBO and the administration in its budget um, projected rising interest rates. Um, one way, a, a way I think is quite good to measure the burden of the debt is by um, looking at net real interest payments on the outstanding debt. And over the last couple of years, that burden has actually been negative. And as interest rates rise back to more normal levels, and you can see this in the budget we put out last year, we project somewhat higher, but still historically low uh, burden of the debt in terms of net interest payments. So this is not unexpected. It's been it's something that's incorporated in our projections. Two quick final questions for you. Uh, one, I couldn't get through an interview without asking about crypto, but in particular, Russia just said that they would accept Bitcoin as a payment uh, for their energy uh, resources. What does that say to you about where we are in the crypto conversation? Well, crypto is obviously grown by leaps and bounds and um, it's now playing a significant role, not really so much in transactions, right. but in investment decisions of lots of Americans. And um, the president just issued a couple of weeks ago mm -hmm. an executive order tasking us and other agencies with thinking about the regulation of crypto. I mean, you're less skeptical about it than in previous. I mean, we've been talking about it together for a long time now, and I think you've had a skepticism about crypto, crypto technology. I have a little bit of skepticism because I'm um, there are, cons I think, valid concerns around it. Some have to do with financial stability, consumer investor protection, um, use for illicit transactions and other things. Right. On the other hand, there are be benefits from crypto and we recognize that innovation in the payment system can be a healthy thing. We would like to um, come out eventually with recommendations that um, will create a regulatory environment right. in which healthy innovation and can And then finally, um, cyber. It's the one thing that everybody's worried about, especially given what's happening in Russia right now. Yes. Is there an industry or industries that you're particularly concerned about? Well, we are worried about the energy sector and have also focused, especially in this building, on the financial sector. Um, we have a you know robust program to work with financial firms at Treasury um, to monitor and quickly inform uh, financial firms about threats that are detected or firms experience. How confident are and you then that we're... You know, cyber is a real risk. And um, we, we, we recognize that we have vulnerabilities and we're doing everything we can to be, to be prepared to deal with that and to up our defenses. But you know, this is, this is a significant right. risk. It's a longer conversation. We appreciate you being with us this morning, Madam My Secretary. Pleasure. Thank you so very, very much. Nice to see you in person. Thanks, Andrew. Thank nice you. to see you as well. Appreciate Thank it. you. Joe, back to you. Could, could you hear that uh, maybe a, a beginning of a stacker, uh, a Bitcoin stacker? I, I just reading between the lines, Andrew, didn't that sound a little bit? Huh? No? That's what that's what I just heard. That maybe a, maybe a, no. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, more I'll, than uh, before. Maybe I'll turn more to talk to her offline. More than before. More than no before. Doubt. I think more that, than before. Yes. Maybe not a stacker. Thinking. My thinking has been an evolution as well. Oh, no.
This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. I thought that was interesting, Andrew, what uh, uh, Secretary Yellen said. Yep. A bit of a shift in tone. I think it's an evolution. Uh, We've seen yep. it. Yep. All right. Uh, it's Friday. Here we are in the it cash really room. Is. is this going to become the Bitcoin room? Hoops. You think? Yeah. Hoops. Uh, we'll, we'll know the Elite Eight at the end of the day. Make sure you join us next week. And that is the pod for today and for the week. Finally, Friday. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. You can tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google. Squawk Pod's got it covered. Have a great weekend, and we'll meet you back here on Monday. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.